All right, today I uh, was doing a little bit of reading on a lunch break. I'm still reading the book, The Magic of Thinking Big. Uh, I had a really good quote I wanted to share with you guys. It says, a lot of pacifationists got that way because they insisted on waiting until everything was 100% favorable before they took action. Perfection is highly desirable, but nothing man-made or man-designed is or can be absolutely perfect. So to wait for the perfect set of conditions is to wait forever. This is a good, good thing to be reminded of. Uh, there's a principle in development called uh, release early, release often, and it's this idea of getting something out into the world um, and then working on refining it later. So, good quote, uh, very practical. Every once in a while, I like to revisit a book that I've read. Uh, looking for highlighted sections. In this case, I'm going through the book The Happiness Advantage just to figure out those little things that stood out to me. One element that I highlighted uh, when I read this um, a couple months ago was this. It says, By tackling one small challenge at a time, a narrow circle that slowly expands outward, we can relearn that our actions do have direct effect on our outcomes that we are largely the masters of our own fates. Again, I love to mark up books, uh, especially those things that stand out, so I can revisit those thoughts later. This is just one example of that. All right, today I wanted to read a quote from the book How to Live on 24 Hours a Day, written by Arnold Bennett, who lived between 1867 and 1931. The premise of the book is framing a day within 24-hour blocks as opposed to our typical 9-to-5, 8-hour uh, explanation of the workday. A quote from the first chapter says, Philosophers have explained space. They have not explained time. It is the inexplicable raw material of everything. With it, all is possible. Without it, nothing. The supply of time is truly a daily miracle, an affair genuinely astonishing. When one examines it, you wake up in the morning and lo, your purse is magically filled with 24 hours of unmanufactured tissue of the universe of your life. It's yours. It is the most precious of possessions, a highly singular commodity showered upon you in a manner as singular as the commodity itself. For remark, no one can take it from you. It is unattainable and no one receives either more or less than you receive. Talk about an ideal democracy. A quote from the book, The Magic of Thinking Big. Before I went into the army in World War II, I was scared of just about everything. You just wouldn't believe how shy and timid I was. I felt everyone else was a lot smarter. I worried about my physical and mental inadequacies. I thought I was born to fail. Then by some fortunate quirk of fate, I lost my fear of people in the army. During part of 1942 and 1943, when the army was inducting men at a terrific clip, I was stationed as a medic at one of the biggest induction centers. Day after day, I assisted in examining those men. The more I looked at the recruits, the less afraid of people I became. All those men lined up by the hundreds, naked as jailbirds, looked so much alike. Oh sure, there were fat ones and skinny ones, tall ones and short ones, but they all were confused. All were lonesome. Just a few days before, some of these were rising young executives. Some were farmers. Some were salesmen, drifters, blue-collar workers. A few days before, 
They had all been many things, but at the induction center, they were all alike. All right, I'm going back through a book called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. I read this a couple years ago, decided to revisit it, and I'm glad I did. There's a couple um, really good points that kind of stood out to me. One in particular, uh, the author talks about um, treating everyone that you come across uh, every day as, uh, as if they're enlightened and you are not. And the idea here is that um, uh, by having kind of this mentality, you take opportunities to maybe learn something from somebody that you otherwise wouldn't pick up on. And the example he gives is, you know, the post office worker that's uh, maybe working way too slow or slower than you would like. In a normal situation, one might get frustrated. But by having a perspective of, of this person has something to teach me, you can then look at that exa uh, example, that experience, and think, hmm, what can I learn from this person? Maybe they're teaching me patience, or maybe they're teaching me appreciation uh, that I don't have to work at a job that I hate, like this person does. So anyway, some good thoughts uh, from a good book. All right, today I wanted to read a quote from a book I'm reading. The book is called First Break All the Rules by Marcus Buckingham and Kurt Kaufman. In it, I found a really great analogy. It says, in the physical world, mountain sickness is brought on by the lack of oxygen at high altitudes. Starved of oxygen, your heart starts pounding. You feel breathless and disoriented. If you don't climb down to lower altitudes, your lungs will fill with fluid and you will die. There is no way to cheat mountain sickness. There is no vaccine, no antidote. The only way to beat it is to climb down and give your body time to acclimatize. Inexperienced climbers might suggest that if you have lots of money and not much time, you could helicopter into Camp 3 and race to the summit. Experienced guides know that you would never make it. Mountain sickness would sap your energy and slow your progress to a crawl. These guides will tell you that to reach the summit, you have to pay your dues. During your ascent, you have to spend a great deal of time between base camp and Camp 1. The more time you spend at these lower reaches, the more stanima you will have in the thin air near the summit. So just a great analogy about um, the steps that are required to make it to the, the final peak of your destination. It can't be a shortcut. Uh, often it requires uh, many steps. All right, today I wanted to read a quote from the book The Magic Question. It's a book by Bart A. Baggett. Uh, which talks about how to phrase questions uh, intelligently uh, that you read to yourself daily, uh, questions that help orient your mind towards reaching uh, a certain goal. In chapter 4 of the book, he talks about the mind, talks about neuroscience and neuroplasticity, and kind of goes into the realm of quantum physics. Uh, he talks about a, a recent discovery that physicists and scientists have discovered. He says, quote, What they have found was the molecule actually changed direction as a direct result of the observer's presence. Now that's crazy, right? But a particle at the subatomic level changes directions in direct proportion to whether or not there's a consciousness observing it. That's amazing. So does that mean that your thoughts and your intentions can actually change physical matter? It's, a, it's an interesting thought, really. Um, <clears throat> whether or not our thoughts do change our actions. Um, I do think there's something to that. I don't have all the answers, uh, but to know that consciousness does actually have an effect on subatomic uh, particles 
uh, does make you wonder. All right, today I'm reading uh, from Seneca, Letters from a Stoic. Now, Seneca is a Greek philosopher who belongs to the Stoic uh, school of philosophy. And if you know anything about Greek philosophy, there's a couple um, schools of thought. Uh, two of those schools which kind of pivot themselves um, against one another is the Stoic philosophy and uh, the Epicureans. And these two areas of thought were kind of um, pivotal against one another. The Stoic kind of uh, thought line uh, is based more around uh, not giving in to worldly um, trappings, uh, whereas the Epicureans were really uh, belonged to kind of a philosophy of uh, eat, sleep, and be merry for tomorrow you die. That kind of, um, you know, live each day to its fullest, not really worrying about tomorrow. Uh, Seneca is actually the son of Seneca the Elder, uh, who is actually mentioned in the uh, Gospel writings of Paul. Uh, he actually has a, an encounter with Paul um, in uh, Corinth. And uh, a couple summers ago, I got the opportunity to spend a day in Corinth where uh, that there's a placard that, that has his name on it uh, to this day. So on with a quote. It says, Wild animals run from the dangers they actually see, and once they have escaped them, worry no more. We, however, are tormented alike by what is past and what is to come. And so this quote is quite interesting because it kind of pulls out to the point that animals don't spend their time worrying after an event has happened. All right, today I wanted to read a quote from a book called Positive Addiction. This is a more of an obscure title, uh, an older book by an author, William Glaser, M.D., and in this book, the author uh, hypothesizes that um, there are people out there that have what are what he terms is uh, a positive addiction. Really, as he's describing this, I think it's closer to what um, some authors call a flow state. And this is um, uh, kind of coined with a habit such as running or meditation, uh, which produces this you know, sort of flow state, but also becomes um, a habitual pattern, which unlike negative addictions, has positive benefits. Uh, in chapter three of the book, there is a quote that reads, unlike the weak who tend to give up and then choose symptoms to reduce their pain and perhaps later become addicted to get some pleasure in their lives, strong people never seem to be at the end of their rope. They almost never lock themselves into one pattern of thinking or behaving. Certainly, they may be stymied or frustrated for a while, sometimes for quite a while, but even then they exercise an option which the weak consistently lack. This is the option to be patient, to wait, to stand pain and frustration for as long as it takes, because they are confident that they will eventually be able to figure some way out of their difficulty. Unlike the weak, the strong neither give up nor are driven by pain into rash or stupid behaviors. All right, today I thought I would read a quote from the book, The Go-Giver. Uh, this is a national bestseller. It's a, it's a pretty quick read. Uh, the subtext of the book is a little story about powerful business ideas. 
And if you haven't read the book, I highly recommend it. It's probably one of my top reads of this year. So anyway, let's continue with the quote. This quote is about midway through the book, uh, page 92. It says, People, remember this. No matter what your training, no matter what your skills, no matter what area you're in, you are the most important commodity. The most valuable gift you have to offer is you. Reaching any goal you set takes 10% specific knowledge or technical skills. 10% max. The other 90 plus percent is people skills. Alright, today I thought I'd share a quote from a book that I read recently. Uh, The book is one I highly recommend. It's called The Happiness Advantage. Uh, The subtext is Seven Principles of Positive Psychology that Fuel Success and Performance at Work. The author is Sean Acor. Uh, One quote out of many that I've underlined is as follows. It says, Studies have shown that gratitude sparks an upward spiral of relationship growth where each individual feels motivated to strengthen the bond. It also predicts feelings of integration and cooperation within a larger group, which means that the more gratitude one employee expresses towards another employee, the more social cohesiveness they feel among the whole team. In other words, gratitude can fuel your own identity as a glue guy. Alright, I'm stuck at the SeaTac airport waiting for a flight, and I thought I would read a couple quotes from a book that I'm reading currently. The book is called The Real Truth About Success, and the quote that I'm going to read today is about the reality about um, intelligence versus influence. So... The quote goes as follows. The most intelligent, most highly educated person in the company typically is not the CEO. This is a little known guy with his name embroidered on his lab coat. He may be the smartest person in the room, but he has the least amount of influence because people don't know what he's actually talking about. 